The final bell rang throughout the classroom, releasing us from the school week and into the weekend. Mr. Castro turned away from the algebraic gibberish on the whiteboard and smiled at the class. Never enough time, he said. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful Halloween tonight. Stay safe. I pulled a single strap of my backpack over my right shoulder and rushed out the door. Stopping by my locker, I heard someone shout, Curtis! I turned to see my best friend, Avery, walking toward me with open arms. He gave me a quick hug. Dude, are you ready for tonight? He asked excitedly. It's gonna be sick. I got the hookup for drinks, and my parents are for sure gone until Sunday. Yeah, I said. I've been waiting for this all week. I can't wait to black out tonight. Avery laughed. That's the spirit. We walked down the crowded hallway together and ran into Ivy and Michelle. Avery immediately embraced them both and asked them about the party. I found myself staring at Ivy as they talked. My eyes followed the waves of her brown hair down to her tanned arms, which, in turn, led to her curved hips. She noticed me staring and smiled. You'll be there tonight, right? Ivy asked me. Yeah, of course, I said, trying to play it cool with a half smirk. But my giddiness overpowered my face muscles, and I broke into a full grin. You two are adorable, Michelle said while rolling her eyes. Anyway, Avery, why aren't we wearing costumes tonight? It's Halloween. Because that's little kid shit, Avery said. I mean, if you want to dress up like a sexy cat or nurse or something, I won't stop you. But we're just having a good old-fashioned party. My parents decorated the house, though, so it still feels like Halloween. Again, Michelle rolled her eyes. It was her default expression. She was always dissatisfied with everything. I would have never hung out with her if it weren't for the fact that she was Ivy's best friend. Should we bring anything? Ivy asked. Only your sweet selves, Avery responded. We started to walk away when he turned around and shouted, Oh, and chips. We made a few more stops to say hi to some of our other buddies. Avery was bursting with excitement and couldn't help but remind everyone about the party. He even randomly invited a group of freshmen as we passed them. They smiled awkwardly and said they would try to make it. As we were almost at the door, I felt someone grab the hair on the back of my head and yank out a clump. The surprise of pain made me furious, and I spun around to see who the culprit was. The hallway was still crowded, and people were moving in many different directions. Scanning, I saw a figure moving away from me, more hurriedly than anyone else. I shoved my way through the crowd, grabbed the figure by the shoulder, and spun him around. It was Jamie Burton, a geeky loser kid from our grade, someone we had all picked on since elementary school. I had bullied him without any real reason for many years, but now I had a reason. I pushed him against the wall of the lockers. What the fuck are you doing? I demanded. Did you just yank out my hair, you little creep? Jamie just stared at me. Usually, when we had him cornered, his expression would become fearful, but the gaze he now held me in was somewhere between hatred and indifference. Are you going to hurt me, Curtis? He said with no emotion. You want everyone here to see what you really are? I looked around and saw that the hallway had gone silent. Everyone stared at me holding Jamie against the lockers. Ivy looked at me with wide, concerned eyes. I set Jamie down, leaned in, and whispered, This isn't over. You're right, Jamie said. It's not over. Then he turned and disappeared into the crowd. I shook my head and walked back to Avery. We left the school and got in his car, and he drove us to his house. So, that weirdo pulled out your hair? Avery asked in the silence. Yeah, Avery whistled. That kid's finally grown some balls, huh? 
or he has a death wish. He's just a freak, doesn't matter, I said. We arrived at Avery's house and moved all the beer and liquor he had been hiding in his closet to the kitchen. After moving the furniture to the edges of the living room, we placed a large foldable plastic table in the center. We set up the red solo cups in a large triangle on either side so that a game of beer pong could start whenever people showed up. I went to Avery's backyard and got a fire going in his fire pit. As I was heading back inside, I was struck with an intense pain in my head. I stumbled forward and caught myself on the kitchen table. Dude, are you all right? Avery asked. I clenched the table. It was the worst migraine I had ever had, and it came out of nowhere. My skull was throbbing. Headache, I mumbled. Avery rummaged through the kitchen cabinets and came back to me with a bottle of ibuprofen. Here, he said. Take some of these and then go lie down in my bed. I can finish setting up the rest. I was in no position to argue, so I popped four of the blue pills and headed to his room. I collapsed on his bed. The pain was so intense that it blurred my vision. I clutched one of the pillows to my chest and buried my face in its pleasant coolness. I don't remember falling asleep, but I awoke over two hours later and heard excited voices talking in the living room. There was a grogginess in my head, but fortunately, the intense pain was gone. I walked into the living room and everyone cheered my name. There was an intense game of rage cage going and my classmates already seemed drunk. You feeling better? Avery asked. Yeah, I actually am. Any idea what that was? No, I guess I just needed to rest for a bit. Someone touched my arm. I turned to see Ivy smiling at me. Hey, sleepyhead, she said. I need a beer pong partner. Can you help me out? I smiled. Yeah, of course. After the game of Rage Cage, we reconfigured the cups for another round of beer pong. Ivy and I were playing against Kyle and his girlfriend, Bridget. The game was close. They had two cups left to shoot on our side, and we had one on their side. I scored the winning shot, and they failed at their rebuttal. Ivy hugged me in celebration when another intense pain stuck me. This time, it was in my stomach. Not wanting anyone to worry, I held in my agony and slowly walked to Avery's bathroom. In the bathroom, I collapsed. I had never felt abdominal pain like this. It felt like someone had slid a knife into my belly. My only theory was that I had mixed too much alcohol with the painkillers I had swallowed earlier. That didn't make much sense though, because I had barely drunk anything yet. Still, I shoved my fingers down my throat and vomited up my insides. It didn't help. I curled into the fetal position on the towel floor and whimpered. What was happening? Was I dying? The pain was apparently making me hallucinate because an image flashed in front of me. I saw a strange altar with candles all around it. In the center of the altar was a doll made out of burlap. It had human hair sewn into its head, and there was a needle sticking out of its head and its stomach. The image disappeared. I remained on the floor for a while longer, and then the pain subsided. I was thinking of leaving the party when Ivy walked into Avery's bedroom. Hey, she said. I was looking for you. Oh, really? I questioned playfully. Yeah, so I'm usually not this forward, but I've had a bit to drink and, well, I really want to kiss you. I wasn't going to wait for her to tell me twice. I pulled her in and kissed her soft lips. She giggled and we collapsed onto the bed. We kissed with more passion and she slid her hand under my shirt. My head started to tingle. There was a growing itchy sensation. Run your hands through my hair, I whispered. She did, but the itchy feeling intensified. Wait, I said, scratch harder. Is this like 
a kink of yours? She asked. The itch became unbearable. I shoved Ivy away and scratched my head vigorously. The itchiness spread down to my arms. It was like fire. I dug my fingernails into my arms and scratched so hard that I drew blood. Ivy gasped and backed away. Curtis, are you on acid or something? No, I groaned. I don't know what's happening. I stood up and ran out the front door without saying goodbye to anyone. Whatever was happening, I didn't want my friends to witness it. I wanted to find my phone to call my parents. I realized that I had left it somewhere inside. I refused to go back in. I planned on walking home and asking my parents to drive me to the hospital. I scratched over and over. Blood poured thicker and thicker from my arms. Another vision flashed in front of me. I saw hands holding the doll. There was itching powder on its head and arms. Then the human hand grabbed the doll's arm and bent it backwards. At the same moment, my left arm snapped. The bone shattered. I shrieked into the night. What the hell was going on? Clutching my left arm with my right, I picked up my pace. Eventually, I made it to the bridge over the river that bisected our town. Someone was standing there in the lamplight. I tried to act normal so as not to cause a stranger to worry. When I got closer, I saw that it was Jamie, and he was holding the doll from my visions. Jamie looked up and flinched. He was genuinely surprised and frightened to see me. In a panic, he fumbled with the doll and tossed it over the side of the bridge. A faint plop echoed. Cold water covered me. My clothes instantly became soaking wet. I collapsed, catching myself with my good arm. Everywhere I touched the pavement, it became dark with wetness. When I gasped, unseen water rushed into my mouth. I choked. Jamie approached me, terror in his eyes. I, I, he muttered. I was suffocating every time I tried to inhale the air right in front of me. More water filled my lungs. Curtis, Jamie shouted. I'm sorry, I didn't think it was real. How could I know it was real? I rolled onto my back and continued to choke. I'll go get the doll, Jamie said, and ran across the bridge and down to the river. I'll find it, he shouted. I'm so sorry, I didn't know, I didn't know. Panic flooded my body along with the water. There was no escape, there was nothing I could do. Dizziness filled my head. It's not here, Jamie shouted from down below. He was sobbing. I'm sorry, Curtis, I'm sorry. The panic lifted. For a moment, I thought Jamie had found the doll, but I still couldn't breathe. My body had simply given up. There was no more use of panic because I was beyond saving. A strange sense of calmness rolled over me. There was no anger or hatred inside of me. In fact, I wanted to hug Jamie and tell him I was sorry and tell him everything was okay. I stared up at the night sky. The stars, one by one, faded into the blackness. Then the darkness of the sky reached downward. It swallowed the buildings and the lights around me. Someone was shouting and crying a thousand miles away. The last lamplight on the bridge disappeared. The inky blackness closed around me, and I, along with the rest of the world, was swallowed by the night sky. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy these stories, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out some more of my episodes here. The final bell rang throughout the classroom, releasing us from the school week and into the weekend. Mr. Castro turned away from the algebraic gibberish on the whiteboard and smiled at the class. Never enough time, he said. Well, I hope you all have a wonderful Halloween tonight. Stay safe. I pulled a single strap of my backpack over my right shoulder and rushed out the door. Stopping by my locker, I heard someone shout, Curtis, 
I turned to see my best friend, Avery, walking toward me with open arms. He gave me a quick hug. Dude, are you ready for tonight? He asked excitedly. It's gonna be sick. I got the hookup for drinks, and my parents are for sure gone until Sunday. Yeah, I said. I've been waiting for this all week. I can't wait to black out tonight. Avery laughed. That's the spirit. We walked down the crowded hallway together and ran into Ivy and Michelle. Avery immediately embraced them both and asked them about the party. I found myself staring at Ivy as they talked. My eyes followed the waves of her brown hair down to her tanned arms, which, in turn, led to her curved hips. She noticed me staring and smiled. You'll be there tonight, right? Ivy asked me. Yeah, of course, I said, trying to play it cool with a half smirk. But my giddiness overpowered my face muscles, and I broke into a full grin. You two are adorable, Michelle said while rolling her eyes. Anyway, Avery, why aren't we wearing costumes tonight? It's Halloween. Because that's little kid shit, Avery said. I mean, if you want to dress up like a sexy cat or nurse or something, I won't stop you. But we're just having a good old-fashioned party. My parents decorated the house, though, so it still feels like Halloween. Again, Michelle rolled her eyes. It was her default expression. She was always dissatisfied with everything. I would have never hung out with her if it weren't for the fact that she was Ivy's best friend. Should we bring anything? Ivy asked. Only your sweet selves, Avery responded. We started to walk away when he turned around and shouted, Oh, and chips. We made a few more stops to say hi to some of our other buddies. Avery was bursting with excitement and couldn't help but remind everyone about the party. He even randomly invited a group of freshmen as we passed them. They smiled awkwardly and said they would try to make it. As we were almost at the door, I felt someone grab the hair on the back of my head and yank out a clump. The surprise of pain made me furious, and I spun around to see who the culprit was. The hallway was still crowded, and people were moving in many different directions. Scanning, I saw a figure moving away from me, more hurriedly than anyone else. I shoved my way through the crowd, grabbed the figure by the shoulder, and spun him around. It was Jamie Burton, a geeky loser kid from our grade, someone we had all picked on since elementary school. I had bullied him without any real reason for many years, but now I had a reason. I pushed him against the wall of the lockers. What the fuck are you doing? I demanded. Did you just yank out my hair, you little creep? Jamie just stared at me. Usually, when we had him cornered, his expression would become fearful, but the gaze he now held me in was somewhere between hatred and indifference. Are you going to hurt me, Curtis? He said with no emotion. You want everyone here to see what you really are? I looked around and saw that the hallway had gone silent. Everyone stared at me holding Jamie against the lockers. Ivy looked at me with wide, concerned eyes. I set Jamie down, leaned in, and whispered, This isn't over. You're right, Jamie said. It's not over. Then he turned and disappeared into the crowd. I shook my head and walked back to Avery. We left the school and got in his car, and he drove us to his house. So, that weirdo pulled out your hair? Avery asked in the silence. Yeah, Avery whistled. That kid's finally grown some balls, huh? Or he has a death wish. He's just a freak, doesn't matter, I said. We arrived at Avery's house and moved all the beer and liquor he had been hiding in his closet to the kitchen. After moving the furniture to the edges of the living room, we placed a large, foldable plastic table in the center. We set up the red solo cups in a large triangle on either side so that a game of beer pong could start whenever people showed up. I went to Avery's backyard and got a fire going in his fire pit. 
As I was heading back inside, I was struck with an intense pain in my head. I stumbled forward and caught myself on the kitchen table. Dude, are you all right? Avery asked. I clenched the table. It was the worst migraine I had ever had, and it came out of nowhere. My skull was throbbing. Headache, I mumbled. Avery rummaged through the kitchen cabinets and came back to me with a bottle of ibuprofen. Here, he said. Take some of these and then go lie down in my bed. I can finish setting up the rest. I was in no position to argue, so I popped four of the blue pills and headed to his room. I collapsed on his bed. The pain was so intense that it blurred my vision. I clutched one of the pillows to my chest and buried my face in its pleasant coolness. I don't remember falling asleep, but I awoke over two hours later and heard excited voices talking in the living room. There was a grogginess in my head, but fortunately, the intense pain was gone. I walked into the living room and everyone cheered my name. There was an intense game of rage cage going and my classmates already seemed drunk. You feeling better? Avery asked. Yeah, I actually am. Any idea what that was? No, I guess I just needed to rest for a bit. Someone touched my arm. I turned to see Ivy smiling at me. Hey, sleepyhead, she said. I need a beer pong partner. Can you help me out? I smiled. Yeah, of course. After the game of Rage Cage, we reconfigured the cups for another round of beer pong. Ivy and I were playing against Kyle and his girlfriend, Bridget. The game was close. They had two cups left to shoot on our side, and we had one on their side. I scored the winning shot, and they failed at their rebuttal. Ivy hugged me in celebration when another intense pain stuck me. This time, it was in my stomach. Not wanting anyone to worry, I held in my agony and slowly walked to Avery's bathroom. In the bathroom, I collapsed. I had never felt abdominal pain like this. It felt like someone had slid a knife into my belly. My only theory was that I had mixed too much alcohol with the painkillers I had swallowed earlier. That didn't make much sense though, because I had barely drunk anything yet. Still, I shoved my fingers down my throat and vomited up my insides. It didn't help. I curled into the fetal position on the towel floor and whimpered. What was happening? Was I dying? The pain was apparently making me hallucinate because an image flashed in front of me. I saw a strange altar with candles all around it. In the center of the altar was a doll made out of burlap. It had human hair sewn into its head and there was a needle sticking out of its head and its stomach. The image disappeared. I remained on the floor for a while longer and then the pain subsided. I was thinking of leaving the party when Ivy walked into Avery's bedroom. Hey, she said, I was looking for you. Oh, really? I questioned playfully. Yeah, so I'm usually not this forward, but I've had a bit to drink and well, I really want to kiss you. I wasn't going to wait for her to tell me twice. I pulled her in and kissed her soft lips. She giggled and we collapsed onto the bed. We kissed with more passion and she slid her hand under my shirt. My head started to tingle. There was a growing itchy sensation. Run your hands through my hair, I whispered. She did, but the itchy feeling intensified. Wait, I said, scratch harder. Is this like a kink of yours? She asked. The itch became unbearable. I shoved Ivy away and scratched my head vigorously. The itchiness spread down to my arms. It was like fire. I dug my fingernails into my arms and scratched so hard that I drew blood. Ivy gasped and backed away. Curtis, are you on acid or something? No, I groaned. I don't know what's happening. I stood up and ran out the front door without saying goodbye to anyone. 
Whatever was happening, I didn't want my friends to witness it. I wanted to find my phone to call my parents. I realized that I had left it somewhere inside. I refused to go back in. I planned on walking home and asking my parents to drive me to the hospital. I scratched over and over. Blood poured thicker and thicker from my arms. Another vision flashed in front of me. I saw hands holding the doll. There was itching powder on its head and arms. Then the human hand grabbed the doll's arm and bent it backwards. At the same moment, my left arm snapped. The bone shattered. I shrieked into the night. What the hell was going on? Clutching my left arm with my right, I picked up my pace. Eventually, I made it to the bridge over the river that bisected our town. Someone was standing there in the lamplight. I tried to act normal so as not to cause a stranger to worry. When I got closer, I saw that it was Jamie, and he was holding the doll from my visions. Jamie looked up and flinched. He was genuinely surprised and frightened to see me. In a panic, he fumbled with the doll and tossed it over the side of the bridge. A faint plop echoed. Cold water covered me. My clothes instantly became soaking wet. I collapsed, catching myself with my good arm. Everywhere I touched the pavement, it became dark with wetness. When I gasped, unseen water rushed into my mouth. I choked. Jamie approached me, terror in his eyes. I, I, he muttered. I was suffocating every time I tried to inhale the air right in front of me. More water filled my lungs. Curtis, Jamie shouted. I'm sorry. I didn't think it was real. How could I know it was real? I rolled onto my back and continued to choke. I'll go get the doll, Jamie said, and ran across the bridge and down to the river. I'll find it, he shouted. I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know. Panic flooded my body along with the water. There was no escape. There was nothing I could do. Dizziness filled my head. It's not here. Jamie shouted from down below. He was sobbing. I'm sorry, Curtis. I'm sorry. The panic lifted. For a moment, I thought Jamie had found the doll, but I still couldn't breathe. My body had simply given up. There was no more use of panic because I was beyond saving. A strange sense of calmness rolled over me. There was no anger or hatred inside of me. In fact, I wanted to hug Jamie and tell him I was sorry and tell him everything was okay. I stared up at the night sky. The stars, one by one, faded into the blackness. Then the darkness of the sky reached downward. It swallowed the buildings and the lights around me. Someone was shouting and crying a thousand miles away. The last lamplight on the bridge disappeared. The inky blackness closed around me, and I, along with the rest of the world, was swallowed by the night sky. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy these stories, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and check out some more of my episodes here.